Volume 7, Chapter 9 of Cecilia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Barony. Cecilia, Memoirs of an Heiress by Francis Burney. Volume 7, Chapter 9 A Torment. At blank they stopped for dinner. Mrs. Charlton being too much fatigued to go on without some rest, though the haste of Cecilia to meet Delvile, with time enough for a new arranging their affairs, made her regret every moment that was spent upon the road. Their meal was not long, and they were returning to their chaise, when they were suddenly encountered by Mr. Morris, who was just alighted from his horse. He congratulated himself upon the happiness of meeting them with the air of a man who nothing doubted that happiness being mutual. Then hastening to speak of the grove, "'I could hardly,' he cried, "'get away. My friend Monckton won't know what to do without me, for Lady Margaret, poor old soul, is in a shocking bad way indeed. There's hardly any staying in the room with her. Her breathing is just like the grunting of a hog.' She can't possibly last long, for she's quite upon her last legs, and tumbles about so when she walks alone, one would swear she was drunk. "'If you take infirmity,' said Mrs. Charlton, who was now helped into the chaise, "'for intoxication you must suppose no old person sober.' "'Vastly well said, mum,' cried he. "'I really forgot your being an old lady yourself, or I should not have made the observation. However, as to poor Lady Margaret—' She may do as well as ever by and by, for she has an excellent constitution, and I suppose she has been hardly any better than she is now these forty years, for I remember when I was quite a boy hearing her called a limping old puddle. "'Well, we'll discuss this matter, if you please,' said Cecilia, "'some other time,' and ordered the postillion to drive on. But before they came to their next stage, Morris, having changed his horse, joined them, and rode on by their side— begging them to observe what haste he had made on purpose to have the pleasure of escorting them. This forwardness was very offensive to Mrs. Charlton, whose years and character had long procured her more deference and respect. But Cecilia, anxious only to hasten her journey, was indifferent to everything save what retarded it. At the same inn they both again changed horses, and he still continued riding with them, and occasionally talking, till they were within twenty miles of London, when a disturbance upon the road exciting his curiosity, he hastily rode away from them to inquire into its cause. Upon coming up to the place whence it proceeded, they saw a party of gentlemen on horseback surrounding a chaise which had been just overturned, and while the confusion in the road obliged the postillion to stop, Cecilia heard a lady's voice exclaiming, "'I declare, I dare say I am killed!' And instantly recollecting Miss Larolles, the fear of discovery and delay made her desire the man to drive on with all speed. He was preparing to obey her, but Morris, galloping after them, called out, "'Miss Beverley, one of the ladies that has been overturned, is an acquaintance of yours. I used to see her with you at Mrs. Harrell's.' "'Did you?' said Cecilia, much disconcerted. "'I hope she is not hurt.' "'No, not at all. But the lady with her is bruised to death. Won't you come and see her?' "'I am too much in haste at present, and can do them no good. But Mrs. Charlton, I am sure, will spare her servant, if he can be of any use.' 
Oh, but the young lady wants to speak to you. She is coming up to the chaise as fast as ever she can. And how should she know me? cried Cecilia, with much surprise. I am sure she could not see me. Oh, I told her, answered Morris, with a nod of self-approbation for what he had done. I told her it was you, for I knew I could soon overtake you. Displeasure at this officiousness was unavailing, for looking out of the window she perceived Miss Larose, followed by half her party, not three paces from the chaise. "'Oh, my dear creature!' she called out. "'What a terrible accident! I assure you I am so monstrously frightened you've no idea. It's the luckiest thing in the world that you are going this way. Never anything happens so excessively provoking. You've no notion what a fall we've had. It's horrid shocking, I assure you. How have you been all this time? You can't conceive how glad I am to see you.' "'And to which will Miss Beverley answer first? cried a voice which announced Mr. Gosport. "'The joy or the sorrow, for so adroitly are they blended, that a common auditor could with difficulty decide whether condolence or congratulation should have the precedency.' "'How can you be so excessively horrid?' cried Miss Larose. "'To talk of congratulation when one's in such a shocking panic that one does not know if one's dead or alive.' "'Dead, then, for any wager,' returned he, "'if we may judge by your stillness.' "'I desire now you won't begin joking,' cried she, "'for I assure you it's an excessive serious affair.' I was never so rejoiced in my life as when I found I was not killed. I have been so squeezed you've no notion. I thought for a full hour I had broke both my arms. And my heart, at the same time, said Mr. Gosport. I hope you did not imagine that the least fragile of the three. All our hearts give me leave to add, said Captain Arisby, just then advancing. All our hearts must have been— a beam by the indisposition of Miss Larose had not their doom been fortunately revoked by the sight of Miss Beverley. Well, this is excessive odd, cried Miss Larose, that everybody should run away so from poor Mrs. Mears. She'll be so affronted, you've no idea. I thought, Captain Elsby, you would have stayed to take care of her. I'll run and see how she is myself, cried Morris, and away he galloped. "'Really, mum,' said the captain, "'I am quite au désespoir to have failed in any of my devoirs, but I make it a principle to be a mere looker-on upon these occasions, lest I should be so unhappy as to commit any faux pas by too much empressement.' "'An admirable caution,' said Mr. Gosport, "'and to so ardent a temper a necessary check.' Cecilia, whom the surprise and vexation of so unseasonable a meeting, when she particularly wished to have escaped all notice, had hitherto kept in painful silence, began now to recover some presence of mind, and making her compliments to Miss Larolles and Mr. Gosport, with a slight bow to the captain, she apologised for hurrying away, but told them she had an engagement in London which could not be deferred and was then giving orders to the postillion to drive on, when Morris, returning full speed, called out, "'The poor lady's so bad she is not able to stir a step. 
she can't put a foot to the ground, and she says she's quite black and blue, so I told her I was sure Miss Beverley would not refuse to make room for her in her chaise till the other can be put to rights, and she says she shall take it as a great favour. Here, postillion, a little more to the right. Come, ladies and gentlemen, get out of the way. This impertinence, however extraordinary, Cecilia could not oppose, for Mrs. Charlton, ever compassionate and complying, where there was any appearance of distress, instantly seconded the proposal. The chaise, therefore, was turned back, and she was obliged to offer a place in it to Mrs. Mears, who, though more frightened than hurt, readily accepted it. Notwithstanding to make way for her without incommoding Mrs. Charlton, she was forced to get out herself. She failed not, however, to desire that all possible expedition might be used in refitting the other chaise for their reception, and all the gentlemen but one dismounted their horses in order to assist, or seem to assist in getting it ready. This only unconcerned spectator, in the midst of the apparent general bustle, was Mr. Meadows, who viewed all that passed without troubling himself to interfere, and with an air of the most evident carelessness, whether matters went well or went ill. Miss Larolles, now returning to the scene of action, suddenly screamed out, "'Oh, dear! Where's my little dog? I never thought of him, I declare. I love him better than anything in the world. I would not have him hurt for a hundred thousand pounds. Lord, where is he?' "'Crushed or suffocated in the overturn, no doubt,' said Mr. Gosport. "'But as you must have been his executioner, what softer death could he die? "'If you will yourself inflict the punishment, I will submit to the same fate.' "'Lord, how you love to plague one!' cried she, and then inquired among the servants what was become of her dog. The poor little animal, forgotten by its mistress, and disregarded by all others, was now discovered by its yelping, and soon found to have been the most material sufferer by the overturn, one of its forelegs being broken. Could screams or lamentations, reproaches to the servants, or complaints against the destinies, have abated his pain, or made a callous of the fracture, but short would have been the duration of his misery for neither words were saved, nor lungs were spared, the very air was rent with cries, and all present were abraded as if accomplices in the disaster. The postillion, at length, interrupted this vociferation, with news that the chaise was again fit for use, and Cecilia, eager to be gone, finding him little regarded, repeated what he said to Miss Larolles. "'The chaise?' cried she. "'Why, you don't suppose I'll ever get in that horrid chaise any more? "'I do assure you I would not upon any account.' "'Not get into it,' said Cecilia. "'For what purpose, then, have we all waited till it was ready?' "'Oh, I declare I would not go in it for forty thousand worlds. "'I would rather walk to an inn, if it's a hundred and fifty miles off.' "'But, as it happens,' said Mr. Gosport, to be only seven miles. I fancy you will condescend to ride. Seven miles! Lord, how shocking! You frighten me so you have no idea. Poor Mrs. Mears, she'll have to go quite alone. I dare say the chaise will be down fifty times by the way. Ten to one, but she breaks her neck. Only conceive how horrid! 
I assure you I am excessive glad I am out of it.' "'Very friendly, indeed,' said Mr. Gosport. "'Mrs. Mears, then, may break her bones at her leisure.' Mrs. Mears, however, when applied to, professed an equal aversion to the carriage in which she had been so unfortunate, and declared she would rather walk than return to it, though one of her ankles was already so swelled that she could hardly stand. "'Why, then, the best way, ladies,' cried Morris, with the look of a man happy in vanquishing all difficulties, "'will be for Mrs. Charlton, and that poor lady with the bruises, to go together in that sound chaise, and then for us gentlemen to escort this young lady and Miss Beverley on foot, till we all come to the next inn. Miss Beverley, I know, is an excellent walker, for I have heard Mr. Monckton say so.' Cecilia though in the utmost consternation at a proposal which must so long retard a journey, she had so many reasons to wish hastened, knew not how either in decency or humanity to oppose it, and the fear of raising suspicion from a consciousness how much there was to suspect, forced her to curb her impatience, and reduced her even to repeat the offer which Morris had made though she could scarce look at him for anger at his unseasonable forwardness. No voice dissenting, the troop began to be formed. The foot consisted of the two young ladies and Mr. Gosport, who alighted to walk with Cecilia. The cavalry of Mr. Meadows, the captain, and Morris, who walked their horses a foot-pace, while the rest of the party rode on with the chaise, as attendants upon Mrs. Mears. Just before they set off, Mr. Meadows, riding negligently up to the carriage, exerted himself so far as to say to Mrs. Mears, "'Are you hurt, Mum?' And at the same instant seemed to recollect Cecilia. He turned about, and yawning while he touched his hat, said, "'Oh, how do you do, Mum?' And then, without waiting an answer to either of his questions, flapped it over his eyes, and joined the cavalcade though without appearing to have any consciousness that he belonged to it. Cecilia would most gladly have used the rejected chaise herself, but could not make such a proposal to Mrs. Charlton, who was past the age and the courage for even any appearance of enterprise. Upon inquiry, however, she had the satisfaction to hear that the distance to the next stage was but two miles, though multiplied to seven by the malice of Mr. Gosport. Miss LaRose carried her little dog in her arms, declaring she would never more trust him a moment away from her. She acquainted Cecilia that she had been for some time upon a visit to Mrs. Mears, who with the rest of the party had taken her to see House and Gardens, where they had made an early dinner, from which they were just returning home when the chaise broke down. She then proceeded with her usual volubility to relate the little nothings that had passed since the winter flying from subject to subject, with no meaning but to be heard, and no wish but to talk, ever rapid in speech, though minute in detail. This loquacity met not with any interruption, save now and then a sarcastic remark from Mr. Gosport, for Cecilia was too much occupied by her own affairs to answer or listen to such uninteresting discourse. Her silence, however, was at length forcibly broken. Mr. Gosport, taking advantage of the first moment Miss Larolles stopped for breath, said, "'Pray, what carries you to town, Miss Beverley, at this time of the year?' 
Cecilia, whose thoughts had been wholly employed upon what would pass at her approaching meeting with Delvile, was so entirely unprepared for this question, that she could make to it no manner of answer, till Mr. Gosport, in a tone of some surprise, repeated it, and then, not without hesitation, she said, "'I have some business, sir, in London. Pray, how long have you been in the country?' "'Business, have you?' cried he, struck by her evasion. "'And pray, what can you and business have in common?' "'More than you may imagine,' answered she, with greater steadiness. "'And perhaps before long I may even have enough to teach me the enjoyment of leisure.' "'Why, you don't pretend to play my lady notable and become your own steward?' "'And what can I do better?' "'What? Why, seek one ready-made to take the trouble off your hands. There are such creatures to be found, I promise you, beasts of burthen, who will freely undertake the management of your estate, for no other reward than the trifling one of possessing it. Can you nowhere meet with such an animal?' "'I don't know.' answered she, laughing. I have not been looking out. And have none such made application to you? Why, no, I believe not. Fie, fie, no register office-keeper has been pestered with more claimants. You know they assault you by dozens. You must pardon me, indeed. I know not any such thing. You know, then, why they do not, and that is much the same. I may conjecture why, at least. The place, I suppose, is not worth the service. No, no, the place, they conclude, is already seized, and the fee, simple of the estate, is the heart of the owner. Is it not so? The heart of the owner, answered she, a little confused, may indeed be simple, but not perhaps so easily seized as you imagine. Have you then wisely saved it from a storm by a generous surrender? You have been indeed in an excellent school for the study both of attack and defence. Delvile Castle is a fortress which, even in ruins, proves its strength by its antiquity and it teaches also an admirable lesson, by displaying the dangerous, the infallible power of time, which defies all might, and undermines all strength, which breaks down every barrier, and shews nothing endurable but itself. Then looking at her with an arch earnestness, I think, he added, you made a long visit there, and did this observation never occur to you? Did you never perceive, never feel, rather, the insidious properties of time? Yes, certainly, answered she, alarmed at the very mention of Delvile Castle, yet affecting to understand literally what was said metaphorically. The havoc of time upon the place could not fail striking me. And was its havoc, said he, yet more archly, merely external? Is all within safe, sound and firm, and did the length of your residence show its power by no new mischief? Doubtless not, 
answered she, with the same pretended ignorance. The place is not in so desperate a condition as to exhibit any visible marks of decay in the course of three or four months. And do you not know, cried he, that the place to which I allude may receive a mischief in as many minutes which double the number of years cannot rectify? The internal parts of a building are not less vulnerable to accident than its outside, and though the evil may more easily be concealed, it will with greater difficulty be remedied. Many a fair structure have I seen which, like that now before me, looking with much significance at Cecilia, has to the eye seemed perfect in all its parts, and unhurt either by time or casualty, while within some lurking evil, some latent injury, has secretly worked its way into the very heart of the edifice, where it has consumed its strength, and laid waste its powers, till seeking deeper and deeper it has sapped its very foundation before the superstructure has exhibited any token of danger, is such an accident among the things you hold to be possible. "'Your language,' said she, colouring very high, "'is so florid that I must own it renders your meaning rather obscure. Shall I illustrate it by an example? Suppose during your abode in Delvile Castle, no, no, interrupted she, with involuntary quickness. Why should I trouble you to make illustrations? Oh, pray, my dear creature, cried Miss Larolles, how is Miss Harrel? I was never so sorry for anybody in my life. I quite forgot to ask after her. Ay, poor Harrel, cried Morris. He was a great loss to his friends. I had just begun to have a regard for him. We were growing extremely intimate. Poor fellow! He really gave most excellent dinners. Harold suddenly exclaimed Mr. Meadows, who seemed just then to first hear what was going forward. Who was he? Oh, as good-natured a fellow as ever I knew in my life, answered Morris. He was never out of humour. He was drinking and singing and dancing to the very last moment. Don't you remember him, sir, that night at Vauxhall? Mr. Meadows made not any answer, but rode languidly on. Morris, ever more flippant than sagacious, called out, "'I really believe the gentleman's deaf. He won't so much as say, "'Umph! and hey, now! But I'll give him such a hallow in his ears, as shall make him hear me, whether he will or no. Sir, I say,' bawling aloud, "'have you forgot that night at Vauxhall?' Mr. Meadows, starting at being thus shouted at, looked towards Morris with some surprise, and said, "'Were you so obliging, sir, as to speak to me?' "'Lord, yes, sir,' said Morris, amazed. "'I thought you had asked something about Mr. Harrel, so I just made an answer to it, that's all.' "'Sir, you are very good,' returned he, slightly bowing, and then looking another way, as if thoroughly satisfied with what had passed. "'But I say, sir,' resumed Morris, don't you remember how Mr. Harold, Mr. who, sir? Mr. Harold, sir, was not you just now asking me who he was? Oh, ay, true, cried Meadows, in a tone of extreme weariness. I am 
much obliged to you. Pray give my respects to him. And, touching his hat, he was riding away, but the astonished Morris called out, "'Your respects to him! Why, Lord, sir, don't you know he's dead?' "'Dead? Who, sir?' "'Why, Mr. Harrell, sir!' "'Harrell! Oh, very true!' cried Meadows, with a face of sudden recollection. "'He shot himself, I think, or was knocked down, or something of that sort. I remember it perfectly.' "'Oh, pray!' cried Miss Larolles. "'Don't let's talk about it. It's the cruellest thing I ever knew in my life. I assure you I was so shocked. I thought I should never have got the better of it. I remember the next night at Ranelagh I could talk of nothing else. I dare say I told it to five hundred people. I assure you I was tired to death. Only conceive how distressing!' "'An excellent method,' cried Mr. Gosport to drive it out of your own head, by driving it into the heads of your neighbours. But were you not afraid, by such an ebullition of pathos, to burst as many hearts as you had auditors? "'Oh, I assure you,' cried she, "'everybody was so excessive shocked you've no notion. One heard of nothing else. All the world was raving mad about it.' "'Really, yes,' cried the captain. "'This subject was obsidé upon one partout. "'There was scarce any breathing for it. "'It poured from all directions. "'I must confess I was anéanti with it to a degree.' "'But the most shocking thing in nature,' cried Miss Larolles, "'was going to the sale. "'I never missed a single day.' One used to meet the whole world there, and everybody was so sorry you can't conceive. It was quite horrid. I assure you I never suffered so much before. It made me so unhappy you can't imagine. That I am most ready to grant, said Mr. Gosport, be the powers of imagination ever so eccentric. Sir Robert Floyer and Mr. Marriott continued Miss Larolles, have behaved so ill you've no idea, for they have done nothing ever since but say how monstrously Mr. Harrel had cheated them, and how they lost such immense sums by him. Only conceive how ill-natured! And they complain, cried Morris, that old Mr. Delvile used them worse, for that when they had been defrauded of all that money on purpose to pay their addresses to Miss Beverley, he would never let them see her, but all of a sudden took her off into the country on purpose to marry her to his own son. The cheeks of Cecilia now glowed with the deepest blushes, but finding by a general silence that she was expected to make some answer, she said, with what unconcern she could assume, "'They were very much mistaken. Mr. Delvile had no such view.' "'Indeed!' cried Mr. Gosport, again perceiving her change of countenance. "'And is it possible you have actually escaped a siege, while everybody concluded you taken by assault? Pray, where is young Delvile at present?' "'I don't—I can't tell, sir.' "'Is it long since you have seen him?' "'It is two months,' answered she, with yet more hesitation. "'since I was at Delvile Castle.' "'Oh, but,' cried Morris, "'did not you see him while he was in Suffolk? 
I believe indeed he is there now, for it was only yesterday I heard of his coming down, by a gentleman who called upon Lady Margaret, and told us he had seen a stranger, a day or two ago, at Mrs. Charlton's door, and when he asked who he was, they told him his name was Delvile, and said he was on a visit at Mr. Biddulph's. Cecilia was quite confounded by this speech. To have it known that Delvile had visited her was in itself alarming, but to have her own equivocation thus glaringly exposed was infinitely more dangerous. The just suspicions to which it must give rise filled her with dread, and the palpable evasion in which she had been discovered overwhelmed her with confusion. "'So you had forgotten,' said Mr. Gosport, looking at her with much archness, that you had seen him within the two months. But no wonder, for where is the lady who, having so many admirers, can be at the trouble to remember which of them she saw last, or who, being so accustomed to adulation, can hold it worth while to inquire whence it comes? A thousand Mr. Delviles are to Miss Beverley, but as one used from them all to the same tale she regards them not individually as lovers but collectively as men and to gather even from herself which she is most inclined to favour she must probably desire like portia in the merchant of venice that their names may be run over one by one before she can distinctly tell which is which the gallant gaiety of this speech was some relief to Cecilia, who was beginning a laughing reply, when Morris called out, "'That man looks as if he was upon the scout!' And raising her eyes, she perceived a man on horseback, who, though much muffled up, his hat flapped, and a handkerchief held to his mouth and chin, she instantly, by his air and figure, recognised to be Delvile. In much consternation at this sight, she forgot what she meant to say and, dropping her eyes, walked silently on. Mr. Gosport, attentive to her motions, looked from her to the horseman, and, after a short examination, said, "'I think I have seen that man before. Have you, Miss Beverley?' "'Me? No,' answered she. "'I believe not. I hardly, indeed, see him now.' "'I have, I am pretty sure,' said Morris and if I could see his face, I dare say I should recollect him. He seems very willing to know if he can recollect any of us, said Mr. Gosport, and if I am not mistaken, he sees much better than he is seen. He was now come up to them, and though a glance sufficed to discover the object of his search, the sight of the party with which she was surrounded made him not dare stop or speak to her and therefore, clapping spurs to his horse, he galloped past them. "'See,' cried Morris, looking after him, "'how he turns round to examine us. I wonder who he is.' "'Perhaps some highwayman,' cried Miss Larose. "'I assure you I am in a prodigious fright. I should hate to be robbed so. You can't think.' "'I was going to make much the same conjecture,' said Mr. Gosport, and, if I am not greatly deceived, that man is a robber of no common sort. What think you, Miss Beverley, can you discern a thief in disguise? No, indeed, I pretend to no such extraordinary knowledge. That's true, 
for all that you pretend to, is extraordinary ignorance. "'I have a good mind,' said Morris, "'to ride after him, and see what he is about.' "'What for?' exclaimed Cecilia, greatly alarmed. "'There can certainly be no occasion.' "'No, pray don't.' cried Miss Larolles, for I assure you, if he should come back to rob us, I should die upon the spot. Nothing could be so disagreeable, I should scream, so you've no idea. Morris then gave up the proposal, and they walked quietly on. But Cecilia was extremely disturbed by this accident. She readily conjectured that, impatient for her arrival, Delvile had ridden that way, to see what had retarded her and she was sensible that nothing could be so desirable as an immediate explanation of the motive of her journey. Such a meeting, therefore, had she had been alone, was just what she could have wished, though thus unluckily encompassed, it only added to her anxiety. Involuntarily, however, she quickened her pace, through her eagerness to be relieved from so troublesome a party. But Miss Larolles, who was in no such haste, protested she could not keep up with her, saying, "'You don't consider that I have got this sweet little dog to carry, and he is such a shocking plague to me you've no notion. Only conceive what a weight he is.' "'Pray, madam,' cried Morris, "'let me take him for you. I'll be very careful of him, I promise you, and you need not be afraid to trust me, for I understand more about dogs than about anything.' Miss Larolles, after many fond caresses, being really weary, consented, and Morris placed the little animal before him on horseback. But while this matter was adjusting, and Miss Larolles was giving directions how she would have it held, Morris exclaimed, "'Look! Look! That man is coming back! He is certainly watching us! There! Now he's going off again! I suppose he saw me remarking him.' "'I dare say he's laying in wait to rob us,' said Miss Larolles. "'So when we turn off the high-road to go to Mrs. Mears, "'I suppose he'll come galloping after us. "'It's excessive horrid, I assure you.' "'Tis a petrifying thing,' said the captain, "'that one must always be degouté by some wretched being or other of this sort. "'But pray be not deranged. "'I will ride after him, if you please, and do mon possible to get rid of him.' "'Indeed, I wish you would,' answered Miss Larolles, "'for I assure you he has put such shocking notions into my head it's quite disagreeable.' "'I shall make it a principle.' said the captain, to have the honour of obeying you, and was riding off when Cecilia, in great agitation, called out, "'Why should you go, sir? He is not in our way. Pray let him alone. For what purpose should you pursue him?' "'I hope,' said Mr. Gosport, "'for the purpose of making him join our company, to some part of which I fancy he would be no very intolerable addition.' This speech again silenced Cecilia who perceived with the utmost confusion that both Delvile and herself were undoubtedly suspected by Mr. Gosport, if not already actually betrayed to him. She was obliged, therefore, to let the matter take its course, though quite sick with apprehension, lest a full discovery should follow the projected pursuit. The captain, who wanted not courage, however deeply in vanity and affectation he had buried common sense, stood suspended upon the request of Cecilia, that he would not go, and, with a shrug of distress, said, "'Give me leave to own I am parfaitement 
in a state the most accablant in the world nothing could give me greater pleasure than to profit of the occasion to accommodate either of these ladies but as they proceed upon different principles i am indecide to a degree which way to turn myself put it to the vote then said morris the two ladies have both spoke now then for the gentleman come sir to mr gosport what say you oh fetch the culprit back by all means answered he and then let us all insist upon his opening his cause by telling us in what he has offended us for there is no part of his business i believe with which we are less acquainted well said morris i'm for asking him a few questions too so is the captain so everybody has spoke but you sir addressing himself to mr meadows so now sir let's hear your opinion mr meadows appearing wholly inattentive rode on why sir i say cried morris louder we are all waiting for your vote pray what is the gentleman's name it's deuced hard to make him hear one his name is meadows said miss larose in a low voice and i assure you sometimes he won't hear people by the hour together he's so excessive absent you've no notion one day he made me so mad that i could not help crying and mr sawyer was standing by the whole time and i assure you i believe he laughed at me only conceive how distressing maybe said morris it's out of bashfulness perhaps he thinks we shall cut him up bashfulness repeated miss larolles lord you don't conceive the thing at all why he's at the very head of the ton there's nothing in the world so fashionable as taking no notice of things and never seeing people and saying nothing at all and never hearing a word and not knowing one's own acquaintance all the ton people do so and i assure you as to mr meadows he's so excessively courted by everybody that if he does but say a syllable he thinks it such an immense favour you've no idea this account however little alluring in itself of his celebrity was yet sufficient to make morris covet his further acquaintance for morris was ever attentive to turn his pleasure to his profit and never negligent of his interest but when ignorant how to pursue it he returned, therefore, to the charge, though by no means with the same freedom he had begun it, and lowering his voice to a tone of respect and submission, he said, "'Pray, sir, may we take the liberty to ask your advice, whether we shall go on or take a turn back?' Mr. Meadows made not any answer, but when Morris was going to repeat his question, without appearing even to know that he was near him, he abruptly said to Miss Larolles, pray what has become of mrs mears i don't see her amongst us lord mr meadows exclaimed she how can you be so odd don't you remember she went on in a chaise to the inn oh i true cried he i protest i had quite forgot it i beg your pardon indeed yes i recollect now she fell off her horse her horse why you know she was in her chaise her uh, chaise was it ay true so it was poor thing i'm glad she was not hurt not hurt why she's so excessively bruised she can't stir a step only conceive what a memory you've got i am most extremely sorry for her indeed cried he again stretching himself and yawning 
Oh, so I hope she won't die. Do you think she will? Die? repeated Miss Larolles with a scream. Lord, how shocking! You are really enough to frighten one to hear you. But, sir, said Morris, I wish you would be so kind as to give us your vote. The man will else be gone so far we shan't be able to overtake him, though I do really believe that is the very fellow coming back to peep at us again. I am ennuyé to a degree, cried the captain. He is certainly set upon us as a spy, and I must really beg to inquire of him upon what principle he incommodes us. And instantly he rode after him. And so will I, too, cried Morris, following. Miss Larose screamed after him to give her first her little dog, but with a schoolboy's eagerness to be foremost, he galloped on without heeding her. The uneasiness of Cecilia now increased every moment. The discovery of Delvile seemed unavoidable, and his impatient and indiscreet watchfulness must have rendered the motives of his disguise but too glaring. All she had left to hope was arriving at the inn before the detection was announced, and at least— saving herself the cruel mortification of hearing the raillery which would follow it. Even this, however, was not allowed her. Miss Larolles, whom she had no means to quit, hardly stirred another step, from her anxiety for her dog, and the earnestness of her curiosity about the stranger. She loitered, stopped now to talk and now to listen, and was scarce moved a yard from the spot which she had been left, when the captain and Morris returned. "'We could not for our lives overtake the fellow,' said Morris. "'He was well mounted, I promise you, and I'll warrant he knows what he's about, for he turned off so short at a place where there were two narrow lanes that we could not make out which way he went.' Cecilia, relieved and delighted by this unexpected escape, now recovered her composure, and was content to saunter on without repining. "'But though we could not seize his person,' said the captain, "'we have—' Debarrassed ourselves tout à fait from his pursuit. I hope, therefore, Miss Larose will make a revoke of her apprehensions. The answer to this was nothing but a loud scream, with an exclamation, "Lord, where's my dog?" "Your dog," cried Morris, looking aghast. "Good stars! I never thought of him." "How excessive, barbarous!" cried Miss Larose. "'You've killed him, I dare say. Only think how shocking! I'd rather have seen anybody serve so in the world. I shall never forgive it, I assure you.' "'Lord, Mum,' said Morris, "'how can you suppose I've killed him, poor pretty creature? I'm sure I liked him prodigiously. I can't think for my life where he can be. But I've a notion he must have dropped down somewhere while I happened to be on full gallop.' I'll go look for him, however, for we went at such a rate that I never missed him. Away again rode Morris. I am a beam to the greatest degree, said the captain, that the poor little sweet fellow should be lost. If I had thought him in any danger, I would have made it a principle to have had a regard to his person myself. Will you give me leave, mum, to have the honour of seeking him partout? "'Oh, I wish you would with all my heart, for I assure you, if I don't find him, I shall think it so excessive distressing you can't conceive.' The captain touched his hat and was gone. These repeated impediments almost robbed Cecilia of all patience, yet her total inability of resistance obliged her to submit, and compelled her to go, stop, or turn, according to their own motions. 
"'Now, if Mr. Meadows had the least good nature in the world,' said Miss Larose, "'he would offer to help us. But he's so excessive odd that I believe if we were all of us to fall down and break our necks, he would be so absent he would hardly take the trouble to ask how we did.' "'Why, in so desperate a case,' said Mr. Gosport, "'the trouble would be rather superfluous. "'However, don't repine that one of the cavaliers stays with us by way of guard, "'lest your friend the spy should take us by surprise while our troop is dispersed.' "'Oh, Lord!' cried Miss Larose. "'Now you put it in my head. "'I dare say that wretch has got my dog. "'Only think how horrid!' "'I saw plainly,' said Mr. Gosport, looking significantly at Cecilia, "'that he was feloniously inclined, though I must confess I took him not for a dog-stealer. Miss Larose, then, running up to Mr. Meadows, called out, "'I have a prodigious immense favour to ask of you, Mr. Meadows.' "'Mum!' cried Mr. Meadows, with his usual start. "'It's only to know whether, if that horrid creature should come back, "'you could not just ride up to him and shoot him before he gets to us. "'Now will you promise me to do it?' "'You are vastly good,' said he, with a vacant smile. "'What a charming evening! Do you love the country?' "'Yes, vastly. Only I'm so monstrously tired, I can hardly stir a step. "'Do you like it?' "'The country?' "'Oh, no, I detest it. Dusty hedges and chirping sparrows. "'Tis amazing to me anybody can exist upon such terms.' "'I assure you,' cried Miss Larose, "'I am quite of your opinion. I hate the country, so you've no notion. "'I wish with all my heart it was all underground. "'I declare, when I first go into it for the summer, I cry, so you can't think. "'I like nothing but London, don't you?' "'London,' repeated Mr. Meadows. "'Oh, melancholy, the sink of all vice and depravity, "'streets without light, houses without air, "'neighbourhood without society, "'talkers without listeners. "'Tis astonishing any rational being can endure to be so miserably immured.' "'Lord, Mr. Meadows,' cried she angrily, "'I believe you would have one live nowhere.' "'True, very true, mum,' said he, yawning. "'One really lives nowhere. "'One does but vegetate and wish it all at an end. "'Don't you find it so, mum?' "'Me, no, indeed, I assure you. "'I like living of all things. "'Whenever I'm ill, I'm in such a fright you've no idea. "'I always think I'm going to die, and it puts me so out of spirits you can't think. "'Does it not you, too?' "'Here Mr. Meadows, looking another way, began to whistle. "'Lord,' cried Miss Larose, "'how excessive distressing! "'To ask one questions, and then never hear what one answers.' "'Here the captain returned alone, and Miss Larose, flying to meet him, "'demanded where was her dog.' "'I have the malbure to assure you,' answered he, "'that I never was more anianti in my life. "'The pretty little fellow has broke another leg.' Miss Larose, in a passion of grief, then declared she was certain that Morris had maimed him thus on purpose, and desired to know where the vile wretch was. 
"'He was so much discomposed at the incident,' replied the captain, "'that he rode instantly another way. "'I took up the pretty fellow therefore myself, "'and have done mon possible not to derange him.' "'The unfortunate little animal was then delivered to Miss Larolles, "'and after much lamentation they at length continued their walk, "'and without further adventure arrived at the inn. End of chapter 9 Recording by Barony.